Oxies, they wore bell bottoms. You know, there you go. Boo. Okay. Uh, this week has flown by, and it's been a blessing for us to be back here. Um, we've just, we looked forward to this meeting for a long time. It, it has met our expectations. We just feel blessed to be a part of what's going on at this church. And I hope you guys appreciate what's going on at this church. I don't know how many in this room tonight are uh, active members or active visitors, or however you want to call it, regulars, so to speak, whether you're members or not. But uh, the Bible says, to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. You've been given a lot here. And you've also been given a tremendous potential. Anybody uh, with eyes to see and ears to hear can, uh, should understand that. So I hope you take advantage of it. God's given you the opportunity to really bear some fruit. And uh, that's what we're excited about because you know what? If there's anything that uh, my wife and I were able to say or do uh, these last few days amongst you all, uh, then according to the scriptures, we kind of have a part of your ministry. And that's a blessing to us. It's a real encouragement. It's the type of ministry we like to be a part of. So let's see where we're going to start here today. Um, I'm going to get busy on the wheel, I guess. Let's see. Um, I guess we'll pray, and then we'll go. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, thank you for this uh, wonderful meeting you've given us, Lord. And I pray again tonight, Father, that you would bless those that you brought out here. Help them to uh, enlighten the eyes of their understanding, Lord, that they may receive some simple truths about some of the ways that maybe we could please you with the time and the days, the number of hours, we don't know, but the, whatever time you've given us uh, before you call us home, Lord, uh, help us to be mindful of the opportunities to bring you pleasure. And Father, I know those come across our path all the time, but sometimes we're just so busy, we're insensitive uh, to those opportunities. So I pray that that, that thing would change amongst each and every person here. So, uh, Father, again, I ask that you do the teaching and preaching as only you can. I ask you to guard my lips and help me to say only those things that are right. Help me to make the, um, the thoughts succinct and clear and easy to understand. Lord, and I pray if there be any lying and deceiving spirits that might try to hinder the work that you want to do here this evening, Lord, I pray you'd uh, usher them out of here and put a hedge of protection around this place. Help each and every person just to nestle in to hear from you personally this evening. Lord, we love you. We appreciate you. We praise you for who you are and what you allow us to experience of your creation. Lord, I pray that uh, you would, again, minister as only you can. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's... Um, Boy, it's going to be a while before I have you. Turn to the book of Psalms. Uh, I was thinking of the name of your church, very appropriately named, by the way. Um, I sense a lot of joy here, so that's a good thing. Um, but I also have a little kind of an anecdote about joy, and it's actually a true story. Um, and it's about a pastor whose name is Jim Lentz. He's gone home to be with the Lord uh, a few years ago. But uh, 
Jim Lentz is a real powerful preacher when he was on this earth, and, uh, and he uh, was relaying a true story about how when he had just uh, uh, been preaching as a young man at a, some other a local church in his area out in the country somewhere in North Carolina, that's where he was from, uh, uh, right before uh, as he was about to leave, some kind old man there uh, shook his hand and kind of stuck a $100 bill in there to give Jim, and wow. He really appreciated that and kind of praised the Lord for that and thought, man, how timely I could really use that money. Well, um, Jim Lentz gets in his car. He's heading back to wherever he lived, not too far away. He's going through the little town now, and there's just one stoplight in that town. And uh, it turns red. He slows down, and he sees this elderly woman dragging about three or four scraggly little kids behind her. You can tell by the way the kids are dressed and the mother that they're probably pretty poor and and needy, and uh, happened to be a kind of a heavy-set black woman. Not that that means a whole lot, but I think uh, my experience is uh, black people tend to be a lot more expressive and emotional. It kind of ties into the anecdote here. So uh, I mention it for that reason. This, uh, he, uh, he didn't think much about it. The light changes. He heads down the road, and he's kind of looking at this uh, family in the rearview mirror now as they cross the street where he had stopped. And anyway, as he looks back in his mirror, the Lord speaks to him and says, Son, I want you to give that $100 bill to that family. And Jim Lentz goes, Lord, is that really you? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he didn't do that for too long because Jim Lentz was that kind of guy. He said, Okay, Lord, I know it's you. And turns around and heads back there. And by now she's crossed the intersection with her family and he catches up to her and says, ma'am, you know, the Lord impressed upon me to give you this $100 bill. And she took that thing and went, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And he grabbed those kids and they're dancing around in a circle and, and just praising the Lord. And they were full of joy. And, you know, uh, Jim Lentz got in his car, headed home, and he glanced one last time in, in the back of his rearview mirror. And that family was still out there praising the Lord, rejoicing over that $100 bill that he had been given totally from the Lord. The Lord spoke to Jim Lentz one more time and said, Son, if you would have been that excited about the $100 bill, I'd have let you keep it. <laughs> he said that's a true story. There's a lot to that. I know there was a church when we were first getting started out that uh, gave us a trailer as a gift, uh, a utility trailer, because we had everything that you see in our white van with us. We had that like that for uh, well over a year. It was pretty crowded in there, even more crowded than it is now. And, uh, but it was a blessing. Anyway, appropriate name, joy is important, and something equally as important is being thankful. And I'll get into that a little bit tonight. So I want to start out, I'll give you some scriptures here. In first, not in First John, but in the Gospel of John, uh, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's capital W. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Okay? Paul said something very similar, but Paul said it this way. He said, by Him were all things that... Uh, by him were all things that are created, uh, whether they be visible and invisible, uh, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. I'm butchering it a little bit. 
But he said, you know, all things were created by him and for him. A little bit more information there. Not only created by him, but for him. And then Revelation 4.11, I hope you've got that verse memorized. You should have. It's a great verse. And that verse says, uh, these are the four and twenty elders, and they're appearing before the, the throne of God there, and they're worshiping uh, the Lord. And they say, O Lord, thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So if you tie those three verses together, obviously God created everything. They were created for him, and specifically they were created to bring him pleasure. And that's all things. That's all of us. That is why we were created. So tonight, uh, I want to preach on some simple, practical things that every person in this room can begin to do immediately to bring him pleasure. I hope, uh, I know some of my messengers are kind of serious, and they're, you know, and they're, they're meant to be. Uh, they're meant to be instructive and, and help you with your Christian walk, but I hope you'll think that this is more of an upbeat, enjoyable message to hear because it's all about some, I'm talking about simple everyday things that you and I can do to bring God pleasure. Uh, to prepare for this message, I looked up the words uh, please and pleasure and pleasant, you know, all those root words, and I found out that uh, the Bible has a lot to say about pleasure and pleasing him. It's 240 times in our Bible, and of course the interesting thing I found out is that the law first mentioned is very important. The first time the root or one of those words is used happens to be the word pleasant. And I'll give you that in just a second. It's this clay-centered. And I guess before I tell you what that verse is, it's in Genesis, uh, I want us to all understand something, and that's that us human beings, although we've been given the privilege to experience God's creation, all right, there comes a responsibility with that. And there's three, uh, not, you know, not, this is not an exhaustive list, but there's three main things that motivate uh, all life. I'm talking about animals and human beings. And then you might call these animal instincts, but they motivate us as well. And three of the, fa- uh, three of the main motivating factors for us are self-preservation, self-propagation, and self-gratification. You see any common denominator here? Yeah. Self. Now, hey, this is the way God wired us. We are hardwired to be motivated by self-preservation. I mean, that's a natural instinct. It's the way he made us, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a clear signal to all of us uh, whether or not abortion is a good thing or not. You know, if you need any evidence, isn't it amazing that the fetus, uh, maybe just days old, maybe even just hours old, is fighting for life? Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, an elderly person who may be so drugged up, he doesn't actually have control of his body or his, you know, what he wants to do, uh, but he is still, his body knows to fight for life as well. At any age of the spectrum, that is a natural instinct, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, self-propagation, same thing. God made that pleasurable so that we would, in fact, want to replenish the earth. That's what he told Adam. That's what he told Noah, you know, to go out and replenish the earth. 
Uh, but this, the one we get in trouble with is the self-gratification. And that's the thing that God gave us. It's, it's such a blessing to think about His creation. I'm talking about the planets and the stars and the sun and the moon and animal life and plant life and the vastness of the oceans and the expanse of the seas and the power of those waves and, and just on and on, the miracle of life. You know, the joy of a child laughing. You know, you can go on and on. Just, just watching the clouds in a blue sky and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's wonderful. He gave us these five senses to experience those things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But God created us to bring him pleasure. And this gets in our way all the time, this self-gratification. Um, it's usually connected to those five senses. So just ask yourself if you're overdoing it with the eyes or your ears or your mouth, you know, or your, what you're touching, where you're walking with your feet. Um, God's given us the ability to take pleasure uh, and enjoy his creation, and I praise God for that. But he's also given us the responsibility uh, not to overdo it, to do it in moderation. Well, the first mention is Genesis 2.9, and this is God, and he said, Out of the ground the Lord made every tree pleasant to the sight. Now, this is really subtle. Pleasant to the sight. He's talking about the sensation of seeing, whereas man... In the next mention, it was Eve, and she said that she saw that the tree was pleasant to the eyes. So she took a sensation and applied it to her physical thing. I know there's a slight difference there, but it, what it does is it kind of clues us in on the difference between God's will for us and man's overriding free will. You have the ability, that's the way he made us, you have the ability to thwart and override God's perfect will for your life. He'll, he will allow you to do that. He's given us that free will. You and I can please God in many simple ways. I mean, we know it's possible because the Bible says that Enoch pleased God. We know that Jesus Christ pleased God. Jesus Christ himself said, And he that hath sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Uh, the Lord, the Heavenly Father, actually spoke, and Peter recorded it. He said when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus Christ transfigured, Peter, James, and John were up there, and they heard the Father's audible voice say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we know it's possible, and we know we were created to bring him pleasure. So let's get on with it. How about some simple, practical things? Turn to Psalm 69. Simple, practical things you and I can do. We can begin doing them right away, and they're not that difficult. They're easy. You've already been doing them tonight. You don't even know it. Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. There's two ways that you can please God. Uh, they both really involve praise. He said, you can praise me with song, but you know what you need? You need the right song. And it's got to have the right lyrics and the right music. It's never good to have either one of those out of balance. 
You can have great lyrics, but if you got the wrong music, that is not pleasing to God. The Bible says he that uh, worship, God is a spirit. If you're going to worship him, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, that's a combination. It's got to be that way. You've got to have the right songs with the right music, the right words, and then obviously if you really want to please him, you should have the right spirit as you're singing. Uh, the church we just recently joined is really strong on music. It's, it's one of their uh, major emphases in their ministry. And I agree with the, the pastor of that church when he says that, uh, boy, this is our opportunity to come together a couple times a week and praise the Lord and please him. So let's do our very best. And they try to educate their people not only to play instruments well, but how to sing the different parts, you know, and do a good job at it, how to, how to do them just the way they were written to get fast here and get slow there and whatever it requires, the way it's written. And that'll probably please God. Because you know what? Usually the people that wrote those songs that have uh, stood the test of time, they were pleasing God when they wrote them. <laughs> All we got to do is, is follow what they put down on uh, pen and paper there, and we could please God. Uh, he said, I will praise the name of the God with song and will magnify him also with thanksgiving. These things are both a form of praising him because the Bible says... Um, in Hebrews 13, 15, he said, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When you thank him, that's a form of praise to him. And at the same time, he counts that as a sacrifice. It says, uh, I didn't read verse 31 of Psalm 69. It says, This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock that hath horns and hoofs. That singing to him, it's a form of worship, but it's a form of praise. That thanking him, that's a form of praise. God appreciates that. That's why he created us. We do it right, the right spirit. It translates in eternity into gold and silver and precious stones that survived the fiery trial at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what God wants from us. That's why he created us. It's just that simple. You've been doing it already tonight. If you were doing it with the right spirit, I know I heard the right music. I heard the right words. And I can't hear everyone that's singing. But it's your opportunity to praise God and please him. And that's what he created you for. Um, you know, it's all about our attitude. There's a Psalm 107 where it says four separate times in that one chapter of Psalms that... Um, it says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Four times it says that. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I mean, that is the first step in apostasy is failure to thank God. And we're told him to thank him, give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. You know, uh, Matthew Henry, a Methodist preacher, I think he lived in the 1600s. I know he was using a King James Bible because, praise the Lord, that's all they had back then. And he was a pretty solid guy. You know, things have changed in the last uh, 300 years since he was around. Methodists aren't what they used to be, but they were pretty solid back then, and I know he was. He had the right attitude. He gave this illustration about being thankful. Uh, later on in life, he happened to get robbed, <laughs> Okay. Someone held him up, actually took every cent he had. Now, Matthew Henry, in that seemingly difficult circumstance, found four distinct ways to thank God for what happened to him. 
He said, hey, uh, uh, I know the guy got every cent I had to my name. But you know what? It wasn't that much. <laughs> so perspective, right? It's your perspective. Uh, I mean, uh, he said, uh, you know what? I thank you, God, that I only got robbed. I, I could have got shot. I could have got crippled. I could have got killed. Thank you, Lord. I only got robbed. He said, uh, Lord, I got to thank you because you know what? I'm, I'm fairly old and this is the first time I've ever been robbed. <laughs> I mean, he's got to reach for some of these, but he did. And then finally he said, Lord, thank you, Father, that I'm not the one that did the robbing. What do we say? Uh, but by the grace of God, there go I. He, uh, he had the right perspective. We can thank God through singing. We can thank God through just being thankful. Um, turn to Psalm 147. Let's look at a few more here. Lord willing, we'll cover maybe six or eight simple, practical. Weren't those two things easy? Uh, we should all be doing those. We should be doing them fervently and to the best of our ability to bring him the maximum pleasure, you know? Uh, Psalm 147, verse 11. The Bible says, uh, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. So here's two more things. Taking pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. So fearing him, what's that all about? Well, it says in Psalm 2, verse 11, that a wise man serves the Lord with fear and rejoices with trembling. <laughs> yeah, it's good to fear the Lord. If you're not sure what the definition of fear is, uh, you can write it down. I'm not going to have you turn there, but it's Psalm 119, verse 120. And the Bible says, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee. I am afraid of thy judgments. That's healthy. As a Christian, you should know you're going to appear before God one day at the judgment seat of Christ, <laughs> and you should fear that. Uh, obviously, that's the uh, emphasis of my ministry, so my wife and I are pretty much in tune with fearing the Lord, especially the fact that we're going to be judged one day. And I think it's healthy to go around with the attitude is, you know, I just did something, I'm going to be judged for that. I'm about to do something, and I'm going to get judged for that. And maybe I better not do that, because I'm going to get judged for that. Um, Psalm, uh, the Proverb 23, 17 says, Be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Solomon, when he wrote the uh, book of Ecclesiastes, the wisest man that ever lived, and he said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. Um, Philippians 2.12 is another verse on fear. It says, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not talking about the saving of your soul, talking about the saving of the days that you have as a saved man, woman, or child. That period of time, your salvation, you're already saved, now work that out. But do it with fear and trembling. It pleases the Lord. What else does Psalm 147.11 say? That we could bring him pleasure if we hope in his mercy. Wow, his mercy is wonderful. Turn to, to James chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you what Titus uh, Paul said when he wrote to Titus, he says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. God's mercy, that's pretty special. 
I like what James says here, James chapter 2, verse 13. Pretty important. We're talking about judgment, We're talking about mercy, We're talking about pleasing God. James 2, 13, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. You know what it sounds like to me? It's that uh, we've probably got an account up there in heaven, kind of a mercy count, I guess you'd say. And uh, when we show mercy to other people, maybe compassion, things like that, uh, we get a little deposit in our mercy account. And then when we build up that account, we're going to stand before him in the judgment seat of Christ one day. I know I'm making this overly simple, but it doesn't have to be difficult. Uh, Hey, he's going to look at our account and say, you know, you've got a lot of mercy. I'm going to show you some mercy. That's what I want. That's what I need. I don't know about you. Maybe you've led a squeaky clean life. I haven't. I know for at least uh, 50 plus years of my life, I wasn't doing anything for the Lord. Not one single thing. And I know even since then, I've uh, fallen short way too many times for the opportunities he's given me and the, uh, the foundation he's given me and the things he's given me. And uh, I'm counting on God's mercy. I praise the Lord, he is merciful. I think mercy is actually maybe precedes grace. Uh, the Bible says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm glad I don't have to choose between God's mercy and God's grace. Anyway, if you're hoping in his mercy, taking advantage of that mercy, knowing that, hey, I got an account up there, I better put something in it, uh, that pleases him. You showing mercy to somebody. Sure, it's against your old man, but it nourishes your new man when you're doing it. I mean, it's not that difficult. Um, Let's look at another one. Uh, Turn to 2 Timothy. I'm going to try not to get bogged down right here. i got a whole message on this verse, and I I really just want to hit it without giving the whole message to you. This is a near and dear verse to me. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him that hath chosen him to be a soldier. You know, if you're saved, if you're born again, uh, you've either enlisted or however you want to word it, or been drafted, if you would prefer that, but you're in God's army. And you're a soldier, and, and God expects you to please him, and he expects you not to get entangled with this world. And I know when I went to Bible school, I was very much entangled with this world. And praise God, over just a short period of time, looking back, it seemed like it was insurmountable while we were going through it, but looking back over a three, four-year period of time, he got us very disentangled from the world. Now, if you're not entangled, praise the Lord. It pleases him if you don't get entangled. But if you are entangled, well, then allow him to help you get disentangled. It's going to take some effort. uh, You know, you're the one that has to always make the first step. God does all the heavy lifting, but we always have to take a step. You know, and maybe he'll even push us that first step, but then we have to take the second step. You've got to put some effort into it. You have that free will. And you've got to, I hope you don't have that mentality that, I'm just waiting for lightning to strike, and God's going to do all this stuff, and I'm just going to be there when he does it. No, it's not going to work that way. Um, You want to get a little nugget here. Um, 
look in that verse again, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Isn't that this italicized? Yeah, how about that? Must not be in any of the original manuscripts that were available at the time. However, you know, and I got into a brother with this earlier today, but, uh, you know, talking about changing God's words by italicizing them, uh, he told man not to do that, but I think God can change his words whenever he wants, right? He's the author of the book, and if he wants to change it in 1604, 11, whenever, that's up to him. But he gave us this italicized word, and it gives us a little more meaning, because guess what? It makes sense if you leave it out. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of life, that he may please them have children and be a soldier. But how about when you refer to it as this life? It gives a little more meaning because you know what? It's pretty healthy to entangle yourself with the affairs of the life to come. Amen. It's all through the Bible. In Colossians it said, uh, set your affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. Uh, Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, spiritual application there, we got to take that. It doesn't contradict with the Pauline epistles. And it says that, uh, he said, lay out that treasure up for yourselves on earth, but lay it up in heaven. He says, you lay up that treasure on earth, you know, and that's the moths are going to get it and the rust and the thieves and all of that. But up in heaven, don't have to worry about that stuff. No moths, no rust, no thieves to break through and steal. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Folks, don't get entangled with the affairs of this life, but go ahead. Get entangled with the affairs of the next life. That's good stuff. Turn to Colossians 3. It's good stuff for me. It's simple. I want to tell you another thing, just in passing. That's a scary thing, to get disentangled and then allow yourself to become entangled again. That's real scary. That almost happened to us about three or four months ago, and it terrified me. But God just worked it all out, and we didn't get re-entangled, so to speak. Anyway... Colossians 3, this is pretty simple. Colossians 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now, that obeying parents, uh, you know, you don't have to just take the obvious application of a child obeying his parent, which should be done, obviously, but it also applies to us adults who should be obeying our Heavenly Father, our parent, our spiritual parent, okay? Um, you know, if you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're really a Christian, the capital C, Christian, God wants us all to be, the Bible says this, John eight thirty one: if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. A Christian, a real Christian, is supposed to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and that disciple is someone who continues in the word. As a matter of fact, that verse I quoted in Ecclesiastes where he says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments. The last verse there says, for God shall bring every work unto judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. You see, it's about obeying, obeying our Heavenly Father, to know what those words are and then to keep them, to obey them. In Joshua 1.8, the Bible says, uh, this is the Lord speaking to Joshua, trying to encourage him. He's just taken over for Moses, and he's been given, I forget how many people, in excess of a million people uh, to, to cross the Jordan River. And he's, all of a sudden, he's in charge of all those people. And uh, the Lord's encouraging him over and over and over again. And, he's, and he tells him, uh, it's all about 
the law and the words. He says, "This book of the law shall not depart from out of thy from uh, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein." Then shalt thou make thy way prosperous. Then shalt thou have good success. The only time in our Bible the word success is used, and it's connected to obeying those words. And the way God says it, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now you could, you could twist that in your mind to mean, well, he should never open his mouth about the words of God. It's just the opposite from the context. Okay? Whenever he opens his mouth, that's what's coming out. Those words and the principles that those words create when you tie them together. Amen. And that's where his power is. That's where his success is. And we're talking about success that counts. Eternal success. Colossians 1.9 For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Two more really simple things you and I can do right away, all the time, to please the Lord. Being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's take the second one first, because it's pretty simple. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You're in a church where your pastor believes the King James Bible is the perfect word of God. That's a good place to be. He's rightly dividing. He knows how that thing's put together. How does he get that? Well, he studied a little bit. Guess what? He's not going to be ashamed because he's rightly dividing the word of truth. It all makes sense when you rightly divide it. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to deal with any contradiction. But when you rightly divide things, it all makes sense because it's put together in a perfect way. Uh, There's some churches that are doing wonderful works for the Lord and they just don't have the true uh, potential realized because they don't quite rightly divide. That doesn't mean you still can't do some things that please the Lord, but the leadership of a church like that who should know better is going to be held accountable one day for all the members that they allowed to not get the truth. I don't know how better to put it. You know, a person in authority, a teacher, a pastor, an evangelist, uh, you need to know the truth if it's been presented to you. Okay? It's a spiritual thing. How about being fruitful in every good work? Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay? He said uh, to Timothy... um, you, could, you and I, if we'd purge ourselves from some things, that we could be vessels unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Told Titus that um, 
uh, he gave himself for us, Jesus Christ did, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And good works, you know, uh, we know as Bible believers that uh, salvation in the Old Testament, hey, it's a little different than in the New Testament. And I hope that's not new news to you or you disagree with that, but if you do, you're not rightly dividing the book. Uh, and in the Old Testament, it had a flavor of faith and works. And that's why Bible believers are a little hesitant to, uh, to you know, peddle around that word works. But that word works is a New Testament phrase. Good works. Good works, let me see if I got it in my notes here. Um, 29 times in our Bible, the phrase good works. One time in the Old Testament. 28 in the New Testament, and 21 of those 28 are in the Pauline epistles. Those good works are written to us. We need to be out there doing these good works because that's how we will bear the fruit that we're supposed to bear. I mentioned some of those verses this morning. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. If we are partakers of God's divine nature of charity, which is a process to reach that, then we will uh, not be barren or unfruitful, we will bear much fruit, you know? Uh, it's pretty simple on how we have to go about obeying it. Uh, it's increasing in the knowledge of God. It's being fruitful in every good work. What else have we said? Uh, uh, it's about singing and praising him, thanking him and praising him, fearing him, hoping in his mercy, disentangling from the word, obeying him, being fruitful, increasing knowledge. So again, there's one more pleasure that I left out. I mean, there's a multitude of them. There's probably an infinite number of ways, technically, that specifically you could please him. But it says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You know, up to this point, this message is totally to Christians. Because the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doth not hear me. You know, and uh, God isn't really listening to you. I mean, he can hear you, but he's not really paying very close attention unless you're one of his children, okay? I'm talking about saved, born-again child of God. Now, he'll hear you if you cry out salvation, and he'll pay attention. But otherwise, it's not like a lost person can pray to God and expect the answers that he desires from God. He may think he's getting them, but he's not. He may be getting them from somewhere else. Uh, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The Bible says that angels rejoice over one that repents. And if the angels are rejoicing, I pretty much would assume that Jesus Christ and God the Father are rejoicing as well. It says in John 6, 44, No man come unto me except the Father which hath sent him sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus Christ saying, hey, no man is going to come to the Father unless I, he's drawn through me. And what we got to realize is that's Christ living on us, and we're responsible to step out in faith and allow people to see Jesus Christ in our life. And I'm not saying just walk by him and with your mouth closed, okay? Sometimes that's all it takes, but we have a responsibility to speak when necessary. You know, there are sins of commission when you actively commit a sin, and then there are sins of omission, Failure to speak when you're given the opportunity to speak up for the Lord Jesus Christ is just as big a sin 
as a sin of commission. Um, so, a brief detour here, because I want to make this perfectly clear. I haven't done it the whole week. And uh, like I say, my emphasis is so much on Christians and getting them prepared for the judgment seat of Christ. But you all, and I don't know half the people in here, I hope you can answer this question uh, <laughs> to your own satisfaction. You may say, I don't know the answer to that. You should. If you know your Bible, the Bible says, these things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. Now, you should know if you're going to heaven when you die or if you're going to hell, if you know what it takes to be saved. The problem is, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, he said it in his heart because any thinking man would have to admit there's got to be a creator. This just doesn't come about by accident. You see, the bad news is, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Why is that? Well, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, the bad news is we're descendants of Adam. Adam sinned in the garden. Uh, we are his descendants. We got his DNA. He's passed that sin into his, his blood, if you want to so to speak. And we're all from that bloodline. And you say, well, that's not really fair. Well, that doesn't matter. That's the way it is. It's not really fair that Jesus Christ died for our sins, the sins of the whole world, when he was not guilty of anything. That's not fair either. But wow, that's pretty nice on the other side, isn't it? You can't do anything about the first deal. You are, all have sin and come short of the glory of God. I mean, are you calling God a liar? The wages of sin is death. Right? If you've sinned, then the wages, the, the, what you're going to receive from that is death. All have sin and come short of the glory of God. Good news. Accept what Jesus Christ has done for you. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He died on that cross, shed his innocent blood, and all we have to do is accept the gift. We talked about pleasing him and how thanking him pleases him more than the sacrifice of, you know, oxes and, and goats and bulls and stuff like that we read about already. Um, you know, they did the blood sacrifice in the Old Testament, not so much to get saved, but to stay right with God, okay, to keep their fellowship with God. And they had those animal blood sacrifices. In the New Testament, the blood sacrifices already occurred. That's why he wants us to be thankful for it. Thank him for that. That's our sacrifice, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It does you no good to believe there is a God, to believe that Jesus Christ is real, to believe that he did all he did. None of that matters if you don't trust him and him only. No man, no woman, no child has ever been sent to hell for something they did. I don't care how, how vile, how wicked, how evil you can imagine anything, that will not send you to hell. What sends you to hell is the failure to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's so simple that it's too easy for most people, especially if they're prideful at all. Way too simple. They'd much rather put down $100 or, or $25,000 or $100,000. And if that's what it was, I think a lot more people would get saved. But this, this requires 
humbling yourself, recognizing you are so wicked, you are so evil, you can't, no amount of money is going to pay for your sins. And God's already paid the penalty. Why don't you accept it? All right? Uh, if you know somebody that hasn't accepted it, I hope you continue to pray for that person or persons. Well, I better get busy here. Uh, unfortunately, well, let's look a couple more verses. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. I want to talk about, we talk about pleasure, how we can please God. And the first step, of course, is to be saved. Now, Sunday night, I recognize a lot of you have been here all week. I'm pretty certain you've got a good testimony about your salvation. So I'm going to continue in that vein, but that is your decision, and that's up to you to get that thing right on your own. Uh, you've been given the truth here, and I'm sure you're given the truth about every week. So if you don't, you know, the blood is not on our hands, so to speak. It's up to you. Make the right decision. Uh, we've tried to give you the truth, and we tried to do it with the right spirit. But what about, what are the results of pleasing him? What are some of the benefits? Pretty simple here. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1 the Bible says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. You getting that? Uh, it sounds to me like if we make an emphasis of pleasing God we are the ones that are going to abound more and more. It said in John 10.10 10, that Christ said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God, God wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to experience the pleasure of his creation, just not to, but to do it in moderation. You know, he made food uh, pleasing to our taste buds, you know, but that's one of the main idols in this day and age we live food. It can become an idol. We all have to eat. I'm not saying that. But if you eat only for pleasure, and if you eat only foods that have nothing to do with nutritional value for pleasure, you're in danger of having an idol, the idol of food. And I don't want to get off on that either. Um, it says, in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, more than lovers of God. Um, Lovers of pleasure. That's, uh, you don't, just because that's a characteristic of the end times, that doesn't mean that you and I have to be one of those fatalities, okay? We don't have to be counted in that number. As I was uh, preparing for this message, by the way, um, when I get back to abounding just a little bit, that abounding is about us bearing fruit, Right? And it's not just the fruit uh, of us winning others to Christ. I mean, that's bearing fruit. But think of you bearing the fruit of the Spirit. All right? That's where it comes to us. So as you're out there seeking to please God by bearing fruit through witnessing and giving a testimony and so forth, He is also bearing fruit in you, allowing you to experience the love, joy, peace, uh, faith, temperance, meekness, and goodness and gentleness and whatever one, and the long-suffering. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit. It's kind of a two-way street, you know. The more we try to please him, the more pleasure we're going to experience. I mean, it's, it's once you get involved uh, with that aspect, once you're living your life that way and experiencing that, 
I mean, then it's, then it's an easy ride almost. I mean, there's no going back, okay? Once you've started to experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life, once you've seen some eternal benefits from what you do day in and day out, I'm not saying it's a straight, you know, downhill coasting now. It's always going to be a little bit of a roller coaster with ups and downs. But man, once you've experienced it and gotten involved in ministry, there's no going back. You can't live with yourself if you're not involved to some extent. There's times for rest. There's times for, um, you know, healing. And there's all kinds of times. But uh, I hope, again, I'm going to say it one more time. It's pretty obvious to me that this church is poised. God is poised to do something here. And there is such an opportunity for you all to get involved in ministry. I'm talking about it could be the ministry of praying for somebody or a group of people, maybe missionaries. It could be in the ministry of helping to take care of this facility God's given you. And I know a lot of you people are doing all that. It could be in the ministry of soul winning, witnessing, uh, passing out tracts, doing mail, and on and on and on. I'm sure he's got a list of ministries that you can get involved in. Uh, how about uh, the ministries of... Uh, <sighs> You come up with your own. If there's a ministry that you feel led to do and it's not being done by this church, why don't you talk to your pastor about it? I'm sure he'd be excited about helping you get into that ministry. I'm looking into a ministry of going into public schools and teaching classes on character. And we've been deceived uh, thinking that we are not allowed in this day and age to go into schools and witness and pray and pass out tracts and hand out shirts that kids can wear during school time that have scripture on them. That's a lie, and we've been deceived into thinking that, and that's not true. And I'm going to tell your pastor a little bit more about that tonight. And this is a, this is a, uh, there's a ministry out there that's done all the work, that's prepared all the lessons, and all they're looking for is people to one or two days a month go into a public school and press the clicker so that the screen, the slides can go up on the screen and you just kind of read them. And the kids answer the questions, and you help them. And it's just like an easy ministry. And they're just looking for bodies. This ministry is in 17 states and five countries. And it's been around for a dozen years. And I'm real excited. I'm just finding out about it. I've just done a little training with it. I'm going to tell your pastor about it. But there's, and it's meant to be done through the local church in your area. Hello. But there's stuff out there. Just come up with some. You know, you guys have some greeting cards out there that... Uh, you know, sometimes we can offer some of those that are free or whatever, but they're very nominally priced. I'm not trying to push those, but I'm just saying, you know, sending out a witnessing or a gospel card or a gospel tract or go get some 10-cent chick tracts with a church name and just go pass them out in a parking lot or, or just hand them to people. You know, like I said the other night, it's about getting outside of your comfort zone just a little bit. Just a little bit. And uh, getting inconvenienced just a little bit and doing something for the Lord. As I was studying for this message, I came across, and I've made four vessels up here, one, two, three, four, yeah. Uh, I came across three vessels in our Bible wherein is no pleasure. And I thought, that's interesting. So I looked those three up. God, is, God does a lot of things in threes, and it's pretty interesting, these three vessels, he covered all the bases. One of those vessels refers to an individual person, a vessel wherein is no pleasure. 
You don't want to be one of those. But it, it does refer to a person in the Bible. Then one of those vessels wherein is no pleasure refers to a country. Okay? And then he covers the final base by applying that term, a vessel wherein is no pleasure, to an entire nation of people. A vessel wherein is no pleasure. And then I thought to myself, what would an earthly potter such as myself do with a vessel wherein is no pleasure? And I know this brother did a lot of work in pottery, so he already knows the answer, so don't, don't blurt it out. But there's different things. I thought of three different things I could do as a potter to a vessel wherein is no pleasure. Number one, I could take that vessel, and I'm thinking, nah, I'm not getting any pleasure out of this thing. I think I'll just set it on the shelf. Okay? I don't know exactly what that might mean to you. To a potter, that might mean maybe I'll come back to that later and work on it a little bit. Maybe I won't. I just can't make up my mind right now. I'm not getting any pleasure from that vessel. I'm going to put it on the shelf. Another vessel, I might say, I'm not getting any pleasure out of this vessel. You know what? I know no matter what I do to this, I'm never going to like it, so I'm, going to, I'm just going to start over with that one. And then there's a third vessel wherein is no pleasure. And I'll say, you know what? There's just something I'm not happy about this vessel. I think I'll take it off of this bat, look at it. Yeah, I'm not going to be happy with this one. I think I'll just cast it away. Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself shall be a castaway. And that castaway is just throwing something away. But a potter, it's kind of, he's really displeased with something. He might just, I'm going to just fling this up there. and You know, when it dries, it'll fall off, and then I'll throw it in the garbage or, or recycle it, you know? But I, I want to I vent some of my anger. I'm so displeased with that thing. Folks, that is the worst thing that can happen to you. Because what it signifies, really, what it's a picture of, according to the Apostle Paul, the way he used the word castaway, it signifies a person, a Christian, that's been in ministry, but because they've backed away, they've gotten away from God, they've gotten away from the truth, their ministry is no longer effective. They have become a castaway. That's what he was warning against. He said, less by any means... He said, I keep my body, I bring under my body, keep it under subjection, lest by any means that when I do preach to others, I should be a castaway. You know, I can't be up here preaching about gluttony and weighing 450 pounds. I can't teach about the evils of tobacco, and after the message, I'm out in the parking lot smoking a cigarette. I'm going to lose the, effect, lose the effectiveness of my ministry. Turn to, that leaves us with one vessel, but there were only three that were in no pleasure. Turn to 2 Timothy 2 again. 2 Timothy 2. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 20, 
But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. That's what God wants. Are you kidding me? He wants us to be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. He said there in Matthew, um, no man that lights a candle puts it on a hill, or setteth on a hill. He doesn't put it under a bushel. He says, because we are the light of the world, we have the potential to bring light to all that are in the house. He said, let your works, uh, let your light so shine that uh, others may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I hope you get the gist of that verse. I kind of mixed it up a little bit. But it's about us being the light of the world. That's the vessel wherein there is pleasure. Last verse, Galatians 1. Easy stuff. Sing to God with the right spirit. Uh, like you mean it. Like, hey, God, I'm worshiping you. The songs your people pick out, I mean, I, I came up here and I forgot to even mention it, man, I, I just can't believe how they've tied into the messages. You know, the last congregational we sung, sung about talked about the, my, the eyes and the mouth and the ears, you know, and that's, it fits right in with the message. Every song, just about, I'm thinking, boy, that ties in, that ties in, that ties in. That's the Lord. He's, he's trying to help you folks out. You know, he's trying to show you, hey, I'm giving you some stuff. It's up to you to take advantage of it. It's not me. It's him. He's doing it. He's, he's the one that's orchestrating the songs that are picked out. Specials are being sung and, and all of that. It's him. He's got something for you. He's got something for you to do. And it's up to you to take that step. That step of inconvenience sometime, that step of faith. So, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Folks, every decision, every thought, every action you take has the potential to please God or to please self. Everything. Everything. Is it wrong to bring pleasure to yourself? Not at all. God gave us that ability. He gave us the creation to admire and enjoy. Things to taste, things to see. Just that we tend to see the wrong things and want to taste the wrong things and want to listen to the wrong things. Every decision. You know, it's been said that what does it matter if you uh, uh, please man, but by so doing, you displease God? What's the, it's not worth it. By the same token, what does it matter as long as you're pleasing God if doing that displeases man? Absolutely nothing. Set your affection on things above. Bring your Savior, your Creator, your Redeemer, the one who sacrificed his body, shed his blood for you on the cross at Calvary, do some things, some simple things to bring him pleasure. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the time you've given us this week and tonight. I thank you for the wonderful attention of those here this evening, Lord. Help us to take these very simple things to heart that we might, in fact, 
bring you a, at least a measure of that pleasure you created us for. Lord, I, I pray that the, the leadership here and the, the members here and the regular attenders and the visitors as well will take these things to heart, Lord, and draw closer to you and be sensitive to each and every opportunity that you give them, and I know they're abundant, help them to be sensitive to take advantage of those opportunities and bring you pleasure. Amen? Pastor?